Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Raise your hand if you like to go to the movies. Anybody like to go to the movies? Anybody like to watch movies? Second graders, do you like to watch movies? Raise your hand. I kind of had a feeling. I have an inside track to the second grade. I, I, I knew that you were going to raise your hand for that. Well, I like to watch movies too. I like to watch refined movies with intricate, well-developed, highly sophisticated plot lines. Very profound and meaningful stories. Movies that mine the depths of humanity, that challenge our intellect, our psyche, our entire world view. Anybody else like to watch movies like that? Anybody? I got to see one or two hands out there. Second graders, do you like those type of movies? Mm -hmm. Well, I had a chance to watch a movie like that this past week. And uh, second graders, you might not, it might go over your head a little bit, but I'm pretty sure your parents are going to get it. But why don't you try? Check out this little snippet here. Just Riley and me, forever. No, for 33 seconds. I'm sadness. Oh, hello. I, I'm joy, so. Can I just, if you could, I just want to fix that. <laughs> Thanks. And that was just the beginning. Headquarters only got more crowded from there. Very nice. Okay, looks like you got this. Very good. Oh, that's right, parent. Oh, look out! That's fear. He's really good at keeping Riley safe. Easy, easy, huh? Hi, back! Oh, we're good. We're good. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're back. Here we go. All right, open. Hmm, this looks new. Make it safe. What is it? Okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned, physically and socially. That is not brightly colored or shaped like a dinosaur. Hold on, guys. It's broccoli! <laughs> well, I just saved our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not gonna get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fair. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Right, right. Here comes an airplane. Ah! Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. <gasps> All right. Anybody ever see that highly sophisticated cinematic endeavor? Yeah? You've seen that? All right. Big kids out there, have you seen that movie? All right. It is a kid's movie, I'm telling you, but I use that term loosely. That movie's pretty awesome. Lots of good stuff in there, talking about our emotions, and uh, even my wife had a little misty eye. I, didn't, I wasn't crying in the movie, but she was, you know. Good movie. Check it out sometime. Inside and Out. It's really quite a profound movie. Briley. She's the main character, right? And there are all these voices, all these emotions in her mind that are vying for her attention, telling her how to be. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, anger. Which emotion is going to win out? Which one is the best? Which one is right? Which one should she listen to? It's a pretty good question. Who should Riley listen to? It's a rhetorical question. Okay. No. <laughs> Who should Riley listen to? It's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Who do we listen to? Why do we listen to? Why should we listen to them? 
What are the voices that are crying out for our attention? The reality is, in that story, Inside and Out, if you watch it, you'll see that Riley's not only listening to the voices inside her mind, but she's also listening to all sorts of voices around her. Her parents, her teachers, her friends, her schoolmates, her screens, they're all saying, listen to me. And isn't that really something that we should think about for our own lives too? It's the same thing for us. We've got our minds, we have the culture, we have our family, we have our friends, we have our screens, we have all sorts of things saying, listen to me. And today, today is Super Bowl Sunday, right? There are going to be a lot of voices crying out saying, listen to me, right? Over 40 different companies are spending $5 million just for 30 seconds of airtime. That's over $200 million being spent so that people can say and voices can say and companies can say, listen to me, right? Pepsi's going to say, listen to me. Coke's going to say, no, listen to me. Car companies, you got the Buick, Honda, Toyota, Audi, Kia, Mini, Hyundai. They're all going to have commercials. They're all going to be saying, listen to me, drive me, fast food, candy, technology. Even apartments.com has a commercial. They're all going to say, they're all going to cry out, buy this, eat this, drink this, consume this, have this for your life, and your life is going to be better. Listen to me. Well, what does that have to do at all, anything to do with what we're talking about today in our gospel reading? What does that have to do with the transfiguration story? Well, the transfiguration story is about Peter, James, and John. They're normal guys. They're like you, they're like me, they're like Riley, they're like our second graders, normal people. They all had voices crying out to them for, to get their attention. They all had voices saying to them, listen to me. Voices in their own heads, voices in their culture, voices in their families, voices from the rabbis and the teachers and the government, all of them saying, listen to me. Now one of the problems at the time was the Roman oppression. In Jesus' day, Peter, James, and John, the Romans were in control. The Jews wanted freedom from that oppression. All of them were kind of thinking it was a sentiment of the culture, sentiment of the religion. If we could just have a government political leader, a military leader, a Messiah, who would come in and free us from the Romans to restore order to our nation, to give us self-governments, to have our religion set free, well, then life would be better. We kind of get that, don't we? Every four years, we go through this election thing, right? It's on the media all over the place, and people start to think, well, if we only had this earthly leader, well, then everything would be better in our lives and our problems would be solved. Peter and James and John were listening to that sort of cultural voice, but that's not the only voice they were listening to. They were listening to the selfish voices in their own minds, Right before the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus said these words, Luke 9, 25. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? The disciples, they struggled with wanting more, with gaining more. I mean, does that sound familiar? We live in Orange County. We live in America. We live in capitalistic United States of America. We want more, don't we? And just as soon as we get more, we want more again. It's never enough. More, 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 more. Jesus is saying, if you keep going down that path, eventually you will lose yourself, your soul, your identity, what it means to be a human being. Now, disciples, they just didn't only want more stuff. They also struggled with more status. They wanted greatness, Right after the Mount of Transfiguration, they came down the mountain, they're hanging out. You'd think they would get it, right? 
Luke chapter 9, verse 46 says this. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. The disciples. I'm the greatest. Second graders. Has this ever happened? Have you ever been tempted to say, I'm the best at handball, right? I'm better than anybody on the whole entire campus. I'm the fastest runner. I'm better than all of you because I can run the fastest. I got the best grade on the test. I'm smarter than everyone. you ever tempted to say that? You don't have to raise your hands. Oh, no temptation over here. Well, the big kids out here, like your pastor and your parents and everyone else here, we are tempted to do those same things. We're tempted. We're tempted because we want more. We like to feed our egos. It happened with the disciples. It happens with pastors. It happens with every one of us in the room from our youngest to our oldest. We like to feed our egos. And Jesus says it's dangerous if you keep going down that path. And so sometimes we need a kind of reminder We need a reminder from God. We need God to come down and pull us out and and silence all the voices around us to give us a moment of glory to experience him, to focus our attention. Now, that word glory is kind of a funny word, right? I mean, it took me for a long time to kind of understand what it meant. Now, this afternoon, there's going to be a certain amount of glory, right? Either the Panthers or the Broncos are going to have some sort of glory, They're going to be the champions, and their fans are going to praise them. They're going to dance around and celebrate. They're going to have parades, and they're going to have glory to a certain degree. But there's a deeper, more profound sense of glory when we look at what that is. There's something like we experience in life, something or someone or some time. We're experiencing something that's beyond ourselves, something that's awesome and pure and magnificent, glorious outside of our own world and our own human experience. That's the sort of glory that we're talking about in the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what we talk about when we talk about the glory of God. We talk about his power, his awesomeness, his magnificence, his glory. It's a glory that he doesn't have because he won a Super Bowl or because he has fans giving him glory. It's a glory that he has it because who he is, he embodies it. My friends, when we experience the glory of God, our lives are changed. Peter, James, and John, they went up the mountain of glory. Peter wrote about it later on. It stayed with him his whole life. They went up that mountain. They experienced the glory of God. Jesus was miraculously changed. He was shining bright. They were in the presence of God Almighty as the cloud enveloped them. They were afraid. They had a healthy fear and reverence for God. And then the voice came, Luke 9, verse 35. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. I can tell you from my own life, my own experience, That every time I listen to Jesus, my life is always better, it's always more, it's always greater, it's always filled with God's glory when I listen to him. Now, how do we do that? Where are those mountaintop experiences where we can see the glory of God? It's really quite simple, and it's all around us all the time. It boils down to two things. It boils down to his word and to his people. And usually they're mixed together in an awesome and beautiful way. 
a powerful way. Right now, we are in a mountain of glory as we are gathered together around God's word and his people with each other. When we worship, when we get together in our life groups, when we, when we read his word on our own, we begin to experience a life transformation. It's, we call it connect, grow, and share. It's really about receiving the glory of God and letting that glory shine through us. And when we do that, when we, when we listen to Jesus, all those emotions that we saw in Inside Out, they become more profound, they become more pronounced, they become more defined. Joy becomes like a super awesome mega joy, as it says at the Easter account, because Jesus rose from the grave. We're filled with a deep joy. Fear. Fear is redefined as reverence and awe for God, and the fears that we have in our life, they are, they are met with his word. I found a glorious moment just a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of our elementary school kids was telling me, he's like, you know, I like to read this verse to myself when I'm afraid. And I was sitting there going, whoa, little pastor here. He pointed me to this verse from Isaiah. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. A mountain of glory. When we listen to Jesus, the emotion of disgust, it, it doesn't uh, get directed at those in our lives that are different than us. That emotion of disgust gets directed at the sin and brokenness in our own lives. When we listen to Jesus, the anger that we have is not directed toward those we love, but it's directed at the injustices that we see in the world. When we listen to Jesus, our lives are always better, they're always more, they're always filled with greatness, and they're filled with glory. When we listen to Jesus. I've had a couple of mountaintop experiences in the past few weeks, and they've been pretty awesome. A few weeks ago, I was able to sit over there in the dining room as we had a four-year anniversary of our Celebrate Recovery ministry. And I'm telling you, I sat there and I listened. Not to myself, not to the voices calling for my attention, not to the world, not to the screens, but I listened to God's people. And I heard story after story after story after story of real people like Peter, James, and John, and like you and me in this room today. They were finding healing and hope and life transformation in the midst of seemingly hopeless situations. Situations of infidelity, depression, addiction, abuse, anger, codependency. All of those things were being named and they were being rendered powerless in their lives. Because they were listening to Jesus and his glory was defining who they are. I tell you, it was a mountaintop experience for me. Everything I experienced that day, I'd heard and I'd learned before. But I saw there once again to be reminded that there is always hope. No matter how difficult the situation, no matter what you're going through. And some of you in the room this morning, I know that you are in situations where life is seemingly hopeless for you. The message for you this morning is that there is always hope with Jesus. And the words from Jesus himself to you this morning come from Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight, And he is saying to you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I experienced that rest this past week. A mountaintop experience, I would say it. Thursday morning, Pastor Nathan, he organized uh, all the pastors in Orange to gather together here at St. John's to pray. 
pastors from other denominations and we gathered around together and we prayed for each other. And I'm telling you, I saw the glory of God, a mount of transfiguration before me as these guys who I barely knew prayed over me and my family and my wife and we prayed for each other and the spirit of God was alive and there was glory there. Always better, always more with Jesus when we listen to him. When his glory shines into our lives and it cannot help but flow out of us. That's connect, that's grow, and that's share. Anybody read the Orange County Register yesterday, or you may have seen it on, online? It was the cover story, Saturday's paper. It told a story about a guy named Marty. Marty Burbank, who is listening to Jesus in his life. A normal guy, like you, like me, like Peter James and John, like Riley, like our second graders. Well, Riley, he, or Marty, he loves boats. He met his wife on a boat. He proposed to her on a boat. They got married on a boat. He loves boats. And his dream was to finally buy a 40-foot sloop to go sail, and their life would be perfect and happy together. He's 51 years old. He's successful. He's an attorney. He's got the money. He's going to make it happen. So one day last year, he's listening to the pastor at his church, goes to church up in Anaheim. He heard his pastor talking about generosity. Heard God's people talking about giving. And something was starting to shake in his life. Something was kind of redefine his perspective on this boat that he was yearning for. You see, years before, he had started volunteering at a public school up in Anaheim, a very poor school. His church goes up there. They do service projects. He started giving donations of granola bars and water bottles. And he even bought him a power washer. And one of the teachers he befriended who actually goes to his church. The kids at that school, they're poorer. They never even dreamed of going to college. Their parents, college and university, that's not on their radar. Marty, he's been sailing since he's three years old. This was going to be his dream come true. But the more he listened to God's word and to his people, he began to become unsettled with this dream that he had. And so he says this. He says, the boat seemed like a real selfish thing to me at that point. And then you know what he did? Instead, he and his wife decided to take all that money they were going to buy for this boat and all the maintenance and the docking or whatever that stuff goes into. And he said, we're going to put all of that money into the 26 kids in this kindergarten class of this teacher I know, and all of those kids are going to go to college. I am going to pay for it myself. Over a million dollars. There's a picture of him right here. I don't know if we can bring that up. Real life, real people. There's Marty, there's his wife, there's the teacher, there's all those kids down there who are going off to college, going off to university because the glory of God is shining in through one guy who says, I want to make a difference in the world for these kids and their lives together. Marty wrote this, he said, uh, you know what, I'd rather not have a boat. I'd rather get these kids through school. He said, maybe one day they'll buy me a boat. I love that. Marty is listening to Jesus through his word, through his church, through his people. And I think that he's found more. I think he's found better. I think he's found greatness. I think he's found what he was created to do and to be. What it means to be a human being, a child of God. God is looking down upon Marty and he's saying, that's my son whom I've chosen. I saw it a moment ago. Uh, when, the, when the second graders sing, when the kids sing, it's almost better to watch the parents watching the kids, right? 
I saw all of you looking at your child. That's my son. That's my daughter. I love them. Jesus went up the Mount of Transfiguration, and the Heavenly Father said, this is my son whom I've chosen. Later on in the gospel, Jesus went up another mount. He went up Mount Calvary, and he hung on the cross, and he cried out, Father, forgive them. And the Heavenly Father listened to Jesus. And so too have we, and our lives have been changed forever. And the approval of the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration became ours. And the Heavenly Father looks at all of us this morning and says, That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my son. That's my daughter, whom I've chosen, whom I'm well pleased. My friends, that's our identity in Jesus. And because of Jesus and his glory, we have more, we have better, we have greatness. We have an identity of what it means to be a child of God.